of a know-what, though. That's the trouble. In the sense, we like to be organised, but in some senses, we don't want to be organised, do we, in a sense? Well, um, we've come to part of Acts, which is Acts chapter 7, which, in a sense, is a little bit complicated and, and drawn out. Um, Stephen is the man we're focusing on this morning. He's, um, he's a very early church member, um, possibly quite young, and also a young Christian, probably, according to some commentators, probably just two or three years old. That man. <laughs> well, that's what we just said, wasn't it? <laughs> but yes, the, the, text, the text is focused on this, this guy, Stephen, um, who ends up getting martyred and, and killed because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you consider um, how young he is, in a sense, in, in, in both counts, you say, this is an out outstanding man. He's an outstanding man. We, we know he's outstanding because what Luke has written about him and told us about him. Um, and, and he was chosen to do this special task of looking after, looking after widows and make sure that they get looked after and get fed. And he, in that sense, he was, there was a, there's a special awe about him. You know, people saw him as someone who was responsible to be involved in these things. Um, we come to the part where, where today in chap chapter 7, we're not going to read it all because it's quite a long chapter, 60-odd verses, so we're not going to read it because it deals with Israel, Israel's history. And, and while Stephen pulls out things from this story, it, it probably wouldn't be that helpful for us to go into all the details about it. Um, we're that time of the year now when um, we should be doing Remembrance Sunday. And remember, we remember people who gave their lives so that we might be free. And we remember the wars, and that's, that's a good thing to do. Um, in a sense, we're reading about another man this morning who gave his life. The cause was different for which he gave his life. He gave it for Jesus Christ, and that other people might come to know Jesus. Um, from his life onwards, the, the church explodes, it, it gets larger and it goes to different parts of the world and it, wasn't, it was going beyond the Jewish nation, beyond the Jewish interests, to the greater and wider world. And then the sense this morning, we're here this morning because that happened. And that's a very privileged place to be, that that same message which, which uh, Stephen and the others were preaching in those days was so powerful to attract people to Jesus Christ. Does Jesus Christ still have that same attraction for us this morning as we're here? Stephen gave his life for it. And whilst next week we may be remembering people who gave their lives, we don't so very often remember people like Stephen who gave his life. Who gave his life. We live in a world where many Christians are being killed for their faith today. It's still going on. But it's something that we as the church you know, shouldn't forget. So I'm going to read just a few verses, um, and uh, we'll, we'll scatter them. Last week, we left, we left Stephen before this Jewish Sanhedrin, this body of men 
known as the powerhouse of Israel in those days. Men who probably didn't smile that often, but they were quite serious in what they did. Uh, and he was alone standing before these people. And he'd been accused. He was just about to speak and look, look, looking at him or writing about him saw his face was like that of an angel. And I'm not quite sure what that's supposed to be saying at that time, but um, in a sense we could, we could link that with the transfiguration on the mount where Jesus' appearance changed and Abraham and Moses was there. This is a very critical point in history. And his face changes at this point. And it's a very serious moment because God is doing business with people. He's doing people business with the Jewish nation at that point, but he's also doing business with individuals. So the last verse in, in, in chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, was, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that, the face of an angel. Acts 7 verse 1, And the high priest said, Are these things so? What things? Well, it's the accusation that has been brought against Stephen, that he was speaking against the temple, he was speaking about the, against the customs of Moses. In actual fact, this Sanhedrin was saying, you're destroying all we got. You're destroying our whole livelihood. You're destroying our history. You're destroying all that we have. And you're being accused, and he was being accused of this. And it was at that point that Stephen began his, his message uh, in, and in verse 2, and Stephen said, and I'm not going to read all of that, but if we go down towards the end, towards the end of this passage, to see the outcome of this. If you turn down <coughs> to verse 55. Referring to Stephen again, but he full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, another young man. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul, into the next chapter, approved of his execution. Saul, who became Paul, and who wrote, wrote many of the New Testament letters, and who was the cause of many people coming to know Christ. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, 
except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So he, we've been presented very much with the, the man who in the integrity of his life was a real blessing to the church, to that early church in those days. We, we read that he was preaching the good news of Jesus and he was performing signs, wonders and miracles. The presence of God was with him and on him. And sometimes we crave that presence, don't we, to know the power of the Holy Spirit at work where we see signs and wonders and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Stephen was, was, was experiencing this. He was blessing the people through the power of God. And that was an amazing time. And his integrity, but when we see his end now, we say, what a waste of a life. What a waste of a life. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Because as a result of his life being given, the gospel moved out of the hands of some people and into the Gentile, what we call the Gentile world. Um, in Matthew 23, um, we read the words of Jesus at the end of 23, and, and it's Jesus speaking. He says, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how I would have loved to have gathered you as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings. I would have longed to have gathered you. And Jesus said, and you would not. And you would not. And Jesus goes on to say about the house and the nation of Israel, your house will be left to you desolate, empty. Now one of the things that's been leveled against Stephen here is the fact that he's speaking against the temple. To have that temple building was their protection. It was their icon of God's presence with them. It, it, it was that which they loved. But they loved the building more than God itself, the God himself. And so they looked upon it as their icon of defense, if you like. And they, they reckoned that Stephen was speaking against this. So to, for them to be told that their temple was going to be destroyed and another one built, no wonder they were angry at him and they came against him. Last week, Steve introduced us to that second look at Stephen and uh, his gospel activity in preaching along with performing signs and wonders was considered extreme from the Jewish council's perspective. They thought it offensive and punishable. On one hand, many were discovering what life was really like for the first time. So as people heard the good news about Jesus, this Jewish council didn't like it. What were they finding in this gospel message? To be free from religious oppression and corruption was one thing. And still, religion, as it faces Christianity, has the same dangers and the same effect on people's lives today. I think we know of people in a, connected with their own congregation where Religious bodies have been, uh, been the means of people suffering mental situations and anxiety and bringing restrictions which don't set people free. So to be free from religious oppression and corruption is a wonderful thing. And the gospel sets people free. The gospel can set us free this morning. Sometimes we find 
that we're oppressed by the need to keep on doing stuff just to try and please God, and it doesn't work. What we're given in Christ is a free gift, the gift of righteousness, the gift of acceptance with God. So what else was this Christian message doing? For minority groups to be heard and helped. And that's why Stephen had been chosen. This minority group of widows, they found that the church was listening. It wasn't pushing them into a corner. They were dealing with the issue. That a minority group was heard and helped. And sometimes that is the work of the church too, isn't it? To, to, to help minority groups face their difficulties. To be heard and to be helped. To be understood and cared for. That's what the early church was doing for their people. Larger than that, to find forgiveness and peace with God. And so as this gospel news was going out and people were, were coming to receive this grace and goodness of God, they found that the religious authorities didn't like it for their various reasons. To find power and equality and purposes. But this was the heart of God. And that's what Stephen was doing as he was going through the stories of the Old Testament. He was saying, he was saying, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. So that's really what Stephen was doing as he was going through the story of the Old Testament. So this clash went on. But how do we see this seemingly unjust and violent activity of the Jewish authorities against the early church? How, how do we see it? Well, Stephen faced it, and sometimes we have to face unjust and violent activities. We have to realize that Satan has a purpose to destroy the church. That's on his list. He will sometimes isolate member one member at a time here and there. And that's just a reminder for us to build into our local church, to build into the community of the people. I mean, what would have happened if the early church hadn't cared for those widows? They'd have become isolated and set apart from the community. But God is building his church. He's building a community of people that can know freedom and life and forgiveness and blessing. So Stephen chose four specific characters from his accounting from the Old Testament, just four specific characters. He chose Abraham. And the key word with Abraham is appearance. He began, he says, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. When we come to Joseph, the key word is providence. Because in Joseph's life, in the scenario of his life, God brought about a provident situation where they sought to destroy Joseph's life. And God blessed those people, that family, in helping Joseph in his difficult situation. When he comes to Moses, he's talking about deliverance. Because Moses was raised to deliver the people out of Egypt. 
and bring them into a good land which God had promised them, to deliver them from the hands of their enemies and to bring them into a good place. And when Stephen referred to David and Solomon, he was talking about presence. And what he was saying is, you know, God is not imprisoned in buildings. I think we've learned that at Beacon, haven't we? We've moved from the Beacon Centre, we've lived to Brively, and now we've moved here. God is not imprisoned in buildings. And yet this was one of the things the Jewish nation, they couldn't cope with, that God was going to remove their temple. When Paul was in Athens later on, he uh, reminded his hearers that God is not very far from any one of us. And that's a great thing this morning. We're here today, and it's not this building that we find the presence of God as such. It's in the body of the people. It's in the body of the people. And it is about people. Paul later said, Christ in, in, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not in the building. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we sense a presence. And as Stephen refers to David and Solomon, he's, if we read about David in the Psalms, we find that wherever David was, he was enjoying the presence of God. Whether he was out looking after the sheep, whether he was out fighting, whether he was out doing other things, ministering, he knew the presence of God. And it was demonstrated. It is not about buildings, and it's about people. And we've learned that earlier on as we've been looking at the book of Acts. It's about people. Later on, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he said, you are the temple, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling presence of God. So as Stephen goes through this history of the Jewish people, he's raising issues which they were sort of overlooking. They were overlooking the fact that this God that they should have known was a God of providence and deliverance and presence and appearance. And it's Titus who reminded the Christians that it's God who through Jesus has appeared to man. And because we've seen because of Jesus, that's God appearing to man. It's God appearing to us. And as Stephen reminds these people of God's goodness in history, he reminds them too the fact that they've missed his coming. We can be here today and miss the coming of Jesus. He appeared. He came to deliver. He came to set us free. He came to give us his goodness. He came that he might dwell with his people and dwell with, not just with his people, but with each one. Each one as an individual. That's an amazing concept. That Jesus should use your life to find a home by the power of the Spirit. That's an amazing gospel, isn't it? Not in a building any longer. Not in a building. Not in... 
There's so much, I find so many people treasure icons of things and say, well, I know God's present with me when I see that. And that really raises the question, how much, what should I say, faith, trust, dependence, do I put in iconic things, like wearing crosses and stuff like that? I'm not condemning or saying anything about anybody here. But the point is that some people put trust in those things. We put trust in things. I've been in people's houses and I've gone to move something. They say, don't touch that. That's special to me. Why is that special? It reminds me of my mother. So I can't touch anything because it reminds me of my mother. And I understand the sentiment, but sometimes our trust is in things, but not in the living God. Sometimes things become so important like the buildings were important to the Jews, that was their protection. All the while the temple was there, they felt protected. But they were trying to imprison God in the building. And you know, we can't do that. Today, what we have in Jesus Christ is free. He says, you are the temple, each one of you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That makes me feel very responsible that makes me feel I'm so privileged. It makes me feel that God is, loves me so much that he wants to dwell inside of me, to give me his presence. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your goodness. Here's that verse again. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. See, your house is left to you desolate. And Jesus had predicted that and said it before it had ever happened. So when we come to this story here, which we find Stephen repeating and reminding the Jewish people, the Jewish Sanhedrin, if you like, it was at that point, very largely, that what Jesus had said then became true. There was no more value in it. And people might say to us, as we call ourselves a free church, why don't you have an altar? Why don't you have stained glass windows? Why don't you have tombs and saints all around? Well, because we've got Jesus. And he is the answer to all these things. The building's not important. The people are. The iconic things are not important. It's the people who are. This is the life of God. That was the end of Stephen's witness, right? No. It was the beginning of a greater witness. His humble surrender to a martyr's death and his Christ-like prayer that God would forgive his killers resulted in the greatest witness of Stephen's life. And as we read on in Acts, how far we go, I don't know. But we see how not only Jesus' words are predicted by the spread of the gospel, but also, but also that this was the time the gospel widened out into the overworld.
So how does Stephen's martyrdom relate to our mundane lives? A man called Joseph Aldrich in his book Lifestyle Evangelism wrote, when the non-Christian observes a believer responding to pressure and pain with a spirit-controlled response, he is seeing God at work in human experience. Satan's response to stoning caught the attention of a man named Saul. Later, Saul became a zealous follower of Stephen's Lord. The way he died spoke as eloquently as his sermon, as he died. In 1956, I was 10, and uh, shock news spread around the Christian community. The news was about five Christian American missionaries who had gone to reach the Alca Indians in Ecuador. Um, I think it was called Through Gates of Splendor, but I remember that um, in our little chapel we hired the village hall and the picture was shown through Gates of Splendor. And it was quite, had quite an effect on my life as I watched this film. I, I can't remember the detail of it much now. But as a 10-year-old child, you know, I remember, you know, this, this is all about Jesus. And uh, it's, I think the film's been reproduced. It's called The End of the Spear. And it tells, it counts how these five missionaries went there and they actually began to make way with the people and to befriend them. But all of a sudden, it turned. And I just watched a clip of it yesterday and, I, you know, the film shows you the spears being thrust into these missionaries, being charged at. And they were there for Jesus' sake. And it, I've actually struggled with it as I've read it because... Stephen's martyrdom and recounting this story because we're here for Jesus. And in a sense, we may not have physical spears thrust into us, but the spears are there. The spears are there somewhere. But we need to stand for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're in this building. That's why we're in Herne Bay, is that others might come to know Jesus. As a child, I grew up singing and learning many songs that would address the integrity of trusting and proving God through life experiences. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for his word, laid for our faith in his excellent word. I'm anchored in Jesus, the Lord's our rock, in him we hide, a shelter in the time of storm. And Jesus told a parable out of a wise man who built his house on the rock and a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And as I was preparing for, day, for today, it was this phrase that came into me. As a Christian, how firm or sure is your foundation? How firm or sure is your foundation? in Jesus Christ. I've heard people say things like, well, my mum and dad christened me, so I'm not going to be baptised because I don't want to dishonour them. Some people grow up 
in, a Christ, in the context of a Christian family, and they, they still continue practicing as a Christian, but they've never really committed themselves to Jesus Christ themselves. They're still relying on the way they've been brought up in a Christian family. Even some people have put Christian on their forms. What religion are you? They've put Christian if they can't think of anything else, and just because they live in England. When God, Stephen dealt with a man called Abraham, and he said, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, and he called him out, he called him out of his country, he called him away from his people, he called him out of his family, and he called him to another place. Later on, it is Paul that reminds us of the life of Abraham, that it was by his faith that he found righteousness, by believing God. Abraham's faith was robust and resolute because he left one life and entered into another. He left his life. Isn't that the call of the disciples, those early disciples? We find Matthew left his nets and followed Jesus. The tax collector left his booth and followed Jesus. And that's the call to us as believers today. It's that call on your life. You opt in. You're not in unless you opt in. And Abraham's faith was robust because he left it and he listened and followed God in his life. So as Stephen faces his hearers, leave your tradition, leave your security in the temple and follow Jesus. But they wouldn't have it. As that verse in Matthew 23 says, how often... Each of you are here today, and Jesus is calling you now, and it's your opportunity. How often would I, as a hen gathers a chick, call you, and you come? I think that's such a lovely picture, isn't it? That God should give this picture of a hen gathers. I've got chickens. <laughs> I haven't got little chicks, though. But the picture's just as good, isn't it? You know? A lovely picture. How long? I would love to have gathered... God's saying, I'm longing for you. I really want you. I just want you to come. And he said, you would not. Is that you today? That might be a little bit of resistance and stubbornness. It's an opportunity for you to come to him today. So as a Christian, how firm or sure is your foundation? Do you know, do you have that assurance in you that Jesus Christ is your own personal saviour? That he loved you so much to give his son to die for you. He gave his whole life that we might live. It's an amazing story, the gospel, isn't it? Such a wonderful, amazing truth. And still... We fight against Stephen gave his life. Jesus did too.
but that was more important. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for Stephen who gave his life. Lord, in that time, and many and more are doing the same today. The writer to the Hebrews said, for people who have given their lives like this, the world is not worthy of them. So we just thank you for them this morning. And take the opportunity to thank you, Father, our freedom and hope, Lord, and what we have today is very much based on people who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. And we want to thank you for that today, O oh Lord. Just in, this, just in this moment, if you feel that, or you just sense that you want to recommit or place your, your life in the firm hands of Jesus Christ and to commit your life to him, maybe you're unsure about where you were or are, or maybe for the first time, you want to do it today. I'm just going to give you that opportunity to either stand or to come forward. I'd love to pray for you. I had in particular, it talked about two young men. Stephen's a young man and Saul was a young man. And I felt that if you're, if you're a man, a young man under, 30, under 33, because that's what Jesus was. I couldn't define a young man further than that. But if you're a man under 33, I believe God wants to bless you today and touch your life. I just give you the opportunity to come forward. I just ask one or two of the elders, if, if the come men come forward for prayer, we will do that. I invite Rachel to come back maybe, wherever she's gone to. Yeah. Thank you, David. Let's, uh, we come to sing these songs, let them be more than just nice melodies. Let this be a recognition of what we're doing as we sing. As David's reminded us, that Stephen reminded us, that this same God of the Old Testament was the same one for the New Testament, and therefore the same God for us now. He's the God of appearance, the God who appears to us. Lord, may you, as we sing, as we fix our eyes on you, may we see you. He's also the God of providence. Lord, may you provide for what we need in this moment. May you stir us for contributions to be able to pray out loud, to read from Scripture. May you give us prophetic words of you speaking to us. The microphone will be available if you have a contribution. He's the God who provides, isn't he? He helps us on our journeys. He's also the God of deliverance. Lord, may you... Deliver us this morning, those of us that need breakthroughs in situations, breakthroughs in habits, breakthroughs in trusting you, stepping forward and reaching out and taking your hand. May you truly be the God of deliverance this morning. And if any of that, of what David shared is specifically for you, we'd love to pray with you as well. Do come and find us. But he's also the God who is present. His presence is manifest. He's a God who is omnipresent. He's always present. But he loves to make his presence known. Yeah? So let's just seek that. Would you like to stand? Rachel and Adam, they're going to lead us. Let's see what God does, yeah? I'm excited. Let's see. Yeah, this first song, You Have Given Me New Life, is about um, the new life that we get given. So this morning you can sing it as a a recommitment. 
um, or as a first-time commitment. But um, yeah, the lyrics are quite relevant for that. So let's just invite, invite Jesus into our lives, invite the Holy Spirit in this morning. <laughs>